Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you're here, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers hey at gmail.com. Today on the Beer Massive podcast, we're going to be meeting up with a uh, couple of gentlemen from out Chicago way, uh, Jude LaRoe and Jeremiah Zimmer of Hop Butcher for the World. I was introduced to these guys several months ago uh, from a friend out Chicago way. And since then, I've been lucky enough to actually have quite a few of their beers. And um, they're very unique. Uh, they like to work with hops in, in, in kind of unique fashion and unique combinations uh, to the point where they're um, one of the more intriguing hop forward uh, beer producers that I've had um, of recent memory. So after several months of back and forth um, between uh, myself and those two guys we decided to sit down uh, have a conversation and talk about beer life sports and a whole bunch of other stuff so listen in and enjoy you know but how about you guys what's going on your end oh you know just a house full of sickies uh, how many how many kids do you have man well you get three each Jude and I, um, I got a almost seven, four and a half, and a five month old. Holy shitballs. So we're on like uh, just trying to get through the night with a solid night of sleep here. And so with everyone being sick, it's uh, it's proving to be a bigger challenge than it has been lately. So, wait, you, you're, you're, you're how old again? Seven, a five, and a how month old? And a five month old. And, and four and a half and five months. And what about Jude? Almost six, two, and one. Wait a minute. When did you open the brewery? Yes. Did you just like, let's complicate this shit by a thousand and have babies on top of this shit? Two thousand. Yeah, you're just fucking sadomasochist. That's all I know. Nah. True. <laughs> um, no, dude, that's awesome, man. But uh, how far away, like... Like, how far away do you guys live from each other, and how far away do you, like, are you from, like, where you contract and stuff? We live far from each other. The brewery used to be super close to me. Now it's super close to him. Even Stevens? Like, hey, it's, it was a couple years him, a couple years you, and then you'll meet in the middle eventually? Uh, it was a little, it was, it was different. It was for, I think we've been a brewery for three years, and for, like, let's say two, two and a half, it's been closer to me. Uh, and then like the, the year to less than a year, half a, half a year, no, six months, maybe it's been closer to him difference though. You know, we, during that time I had a job. So only like eight months of it, I, wa I wasn't working full time somewhere else. So it's different. It's all split up. There's like three, there's been like three dynamics, maybe four dynamics during this whole time we've had it. Okay. We'll cover all that shit. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's let me uh, do my shit here. See. Hey, enjoy enjoy the time before getting married. You you might miss <laughs> a it's second. It's gonna be crazy, but you're gonna look back and you might miss the fat. You might miss the craziness. Uh, 
Right I, I can appreciate that, but uh, we'll see. Again, at the same Matt's time, like, I'm scared cool. as fuck still. So, but in a good way, it's that kind of. I don't. I don't want to say scared. I want to say excited. Do you know what I mean? So we'll see what happens. But she's awesome, man. She's a six foot one German woman. You know what I mean? What, what, what more do you want in life? You know. Good. <laughs> Great. Okay. So we're just going to talk. Are we going to see each other? What? Not not in person. Right now, are we going to see each other? I just mm. see your guys' initials. No, 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 no. Because um, we have to do this without cameras. Gotcha. Only, cool. only for this reason. I would love to do it with cameras, but cool. the, the the one stipulation, and that stipulation is me marrying the six foot one German woman. Was she's a farmer, and gotcha. uh, so when we got together, we didn't live that far away from each other, but we lived far enough to where like someone had to move somewhere, and you can't move a farm. Uh, cool. So I ended up moving down here, and I have DSL. I have uh, five megabytes down and half a megabyte up. So I'm yeah. in a land of horrible internet. So cool. if we do the uh, whole video thing, it'll just sound like robots, which would be a cool thing, but not for this. Silence. Do you have some sports teams in the race right now? <laughs> Me? Yeah. What do you mean? I'll be right back. Know. So where are you? So so what what uh. Uh, what like what do you call like what sports teams do you call home? Uh, I ha- well that's that's are you are you a Jersey guy? Are you a New York guy? You're a Pennsylvania guy? I'm an all over the place guy. Yeah. Uh, let's put it this way: I I was born in New Jersey, um, yeah. and uh, I have two older brothers. I'm the youngest of five children, uh, so I have two older brothers. And basically, what I did was this: my oldest brother was a Boston fan through and through. He's a Patriots fan. He is a uh, Red Sox fan. He is a Bruins fan. He is like, you know, a Celtics fan. So my other brother happened to be um, a New York fan. So he was a Mets fan. He was a Jets fan. Um, He's a Rangers fan and he's a Knicks fan. So what I did was I picked whatever team they hated the most uh, between the both of them. So I am a Yankees fan, a Devils fan, a Dolphins fan, and a Lakers fan. So whoever they hated the most, I picked. Awesome. That was my team. So uh, being in Jersey, you don't really have any teams. Do you know what I mean? Besides the Devils. You know what I mean? There's... there's, The Nets. There was the Nets, right? The, well, you know, but they weren't. But they're no know, good. Yeah, that's it's basketball too. You know, I'm yes. not the biggest basketball guy in the world. To be perfectly honest with you, I love it. You know what I mean? Getting playoff time right now, watching LeBron destroy everybody. That's pretty fantastic. Right. Uh, and obviously, during like your guys' time in, in Chicago, Jordan era stuff like that, it was pretty fantastic. But like, I'm I'm more of a soccer, uh, football kind of guy. As an American football and soccer, I'm not being that douchebag that calls soccer football. Um, right. But, Can you guys uh, hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, cool. Sorry, I had a little headphone problem there. I am back. You're into soccer, Matt? I, uh, pretty bad. Like, it's bad. Yeah. But yeah. you watch it? Like I have shit. Down. Oh, you were saying you're it's, you're 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 badly obsessed with it. Yeah, badly obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah, my cool. whole fa- like my whole family comes from Europe. Like my mom was off the boat, and my dad was first generation here, so that was kind of like just bred into me from my family. So what what teams do you support? Uh, I mean, I support the United States when it comes to like World Cup and shit like that, just because that's right. you know where I live. But I mean, Arsenal is my is my team when I. Right. Like as far as English Premier League, I mean, I don't know right. what else beyond that you like, but I mean, Arsenal's like I've done some pretty 
like I like interviewed a couple people from like Arsenal or, or for like a fan club and shit like that, like years back and stuff like that. And That's cool. I have shit tattooed on me. I'm I'm a weird dude. What can I say? Have a nice go weird man. Why? What do you guys do out there sports wise? What do you guys lineage? It's got to be it's 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 Cubbies, right? And it's all about the Cubs, or, or are you no, South Side? Well, it's it's even more complicated and dynamic than that. Jerry, take the lead. You go first. So I'm from Wisconsin. So my allegiances for college and for football lie in Wisconsin and everything else is Chicago. But the Bears kind of helped me get into sports marketing before we did this brewery thing. So I have this soft spot for the Bears that most people don't understand because I'm a Packer fan and you can't do that, right, according to people. So uh, I go uh, baseball-wise, White Sox, Jude's Cubs, but neither of us are like the ignorant haters where, you know, you, you have to pick one or the other as well. Um, obviously we're passionate fans in those senses, but like, there's also like the idiot fans that just want to argue and <laughs> that's not, that's not our style. So it was somewhat, uh, that was me in my twenties. Yeah. I mean, everybody <laughs> goes through that phase, right? Like I did, I was there too, but you know, you eventually grow up and realize that it's it's just sports man like, yeah well it, you say that to a lot of people in chicago you they'll want to punch you in the face because sometimes it becomes a religion you know what i mean especially when you're yeah. talking about like you know the packers bears thing but I, even coming to wisconsin i mean that's kind of weird what are you like a like a like a who is that who are those kids that come from wisconsin the the watts oh yeah like jj, JJ and tj yeah there was oh, tj yeah. tj was a wisconsin guy too right Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah jj watt was uh so i got to know their mom through my full-time job because she like ran this jj watt race uh in the waukesha area and she would like email me randomly and just be like so how are the kids how's your wife like <laughs> once a month like for <laughs> this year or so stretch that i was covering that market and uh so it's always funny when you see like and then jj like a few years later was like this nfl superstar wait um you- you, so you, you went to university in Wisconsin. How did how'd you end up in Chicago, just out of curiosity? I wanted to work in sports, and the opportunity wasn't really there in the state of Wisconsin. I didn't want to live in Green Bay. I've always been like wanting – up to that point, I had always wanted to live in a big city. Um, so uh, the internship that got me into sports was the Chicago Rush, which was the arena team that I met Jude at. We were both in sales at the Rush team, which was Ditka's team. And then I did like a game day thing uh, for the Bears, which is why I said what I said about them helping me into the world of sports. And yeah, I guess what, Jude, fast forward like a year and then you, you came in and joined and we, we, we didn't even like, it wasn't like we immediately started talking about opening up a brewery, but um, we, we kept in touch loosely until what we got married or he got married a couple months before I did. And so we were just like at those similar stages of life. <clears throat> we were like tweeting at each other and our wives were tweeting at each other. And before, before long, we were like, you know, let's, let's hang out and go grab some beers. And when is this? This was 2009. Where do you come from, Jude? Like uh, up to that point, like moving, like you, you ended up both uh, working for the rush. Like how, how did you get to that point? I went. Uh, I grew up on the northwest side of Chicago. Um, I went to University of Illinois, uh, which is the state school in Champaign-Urbana. Um, same thing. I wanted to get into sports, so 
did a bunch of internships uh, and found myself in sales at the Rush. So that's how I met Jer. Um, but just kind of born and bred here. Lived in, when I was two, lived in Denver. When I was like three or four, lived in like Germantown, Maryland, and Charlotte, North Carolina. Came back here by the time I was six and lived here ever since. Um, that was it. Wanted to be like Jerry Maguire, basically. And that's why I wanted to get into sports. And then I met Jer. <laughs> that was it. Matt, you steered hard into the beer. <laughs> oh, he he was he was the catalyst. He was the the enabler of the group. What was who was? I think I Jude think was or, or you both. Yeah, were? I think we kind of fed off of each other. To be honest with you, from yeah. a beer standpoint, Matt, I wanted to tell you before we get into this, you can go to a Bears game and they could be playing the Jets, and there's this tunnel like right before you hit the south entrance of Soldier Field, uh, and no matter who you're playing, there'll be a Packers suck. Like chant that'll that'll erupt. It's the greatest thing. You just walk under this thing, and there's people just start saying Packers suck. Pack, it's great. Yeah, but the Jets suck worse than the Packers, so I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I, I was hoping you were gonna say you can go to the South Tunnel and stab pe- you know Jet fans yeah. in the back. You know, that's what I thought you were gonna. I'm a Dolphins fan, so you have to understand. Oh. I hate the Jets. <laughs> yes. You have my boy Jay. Oh, Jay Cutler. Jesus Christ, don't even talk about it. I'm having yeah, my boy Jay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's you know what's funny, uh, Matt, is that like uh, so we were, um, and Jer probably had more. Like Jer was in the ground floor before I was, and Jer might actually had more to do with this than I did because Jer played like more in like the corporate uh, side of things than I did at the Rush. But um, the at, like after each Rush game, there was let's say eight, you know, Rush games, just like the NFL and the in the Arena Football League. After each game, like the team would promote. Uh, they would promote it, all the fans to sh- go to like Ram restaurant and brewery, mm-hmm. which I know they're just ne- they're I mean they're just not located in Illinois that they're in other states, um, but it's pretty. I think it was the first like 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 you know like brew pub micro brewery that like I maybe like I had experienced. But after each game, you'd go to this place called Ram, mm-hmm. um, and you just bring like, you drink like craft brews. This is like two thousand like five. Like this is early. So this uh, is like your old school brew pub style, like like yeah. you're getting into beer, which oddly enough is that's where your new brewer is from, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, which from is Ram. so full circle stuff. Yeah, full circle, man. So okay. like, like when you when you do when you started doing that, you started hanging out. You go do the like, hey, we're doing the arena football thing, and you start getting into beer. Like, when does it become like like a thing? Like, I understand it's a thing from the get, but. Like, when does it become like, okay, this is what we're going to do, and the the switch flips? Uh, I would say it was pretty close to when we started actually spending time with each other, like, going out and trying beers. Right, Jude? I mean, we we started hanging out, like, his wife, him, me, my wife, and we we saw Gumball Head uh, by Three Floyds on a menu, and I was like, shit, that sounds delicious. I love wheat beers, like, grew up in Wisconsin drinking New Glarus, and... Um, so we tried it cause it sounded funny and of course it tasted way different than anything we had drank up to that point. And that kind of lit the fire of wanting to try as much craft beer as possible, uh, which led to this craft beer co-op thing we did where Jude, me and 10 others pitched in like 30 bucks a month and we'd pick a theme and go out and buy, you know, enough, uh, beer of, of whatever that theme was to spend the whole lot and then we'd split it up so everyone would get one so it was basically like 
create your own six pack times three or four every month, um, which was a cool way to try a bunch of new craft beers, find out what we liked, what we didn't. And um, along the way, started picking up some home brewing. And uh, before you knew it, you know, we were we were just soaking this knowledge in and watching YouTube videos and reading magazines and just really trying to learn as much as we possibly can and put our thoughts to paper and then turn that into a beer. And, uh, you know, long story short, that became kind of the catalyst for us saying, hey, I think I think the beer that we're making is kind of good. You know, it tastes better than some of these beers we're buying every month in this co-op we're doing so let's get crazy. Let's give it a shot. And as you may know, like the way we started with one tank and, uh, it's someone else's brewery, like it was very risk adverse and it, we didn't know whether or not it would take off or not, but, um, eventually it did. And we started kind of getting, gain, not only gaining that commercial brewery experience, but, um, but doing it in, in a fashion that, that helped create demand, even albeit unintentionally, you know, uh, who was the home brewer? out of the bunch was there was it both, both of equal? us were yeah I, no i mean we both we both learned at the same time we were both picking up things we were you know going out and trying a beer and then trying to replicate it and you know hey i tried my hand at this black rye ipa like what do you think like let's see if we could make you know what if we make an esb next let's make a double ipa so there was just there was just a lot of tinkering really between the two of us was was like you're talking about like you went into uh, the one uh, to ram and had like a gumball head was was there a catalyst like that that typical like first beer for both of you or was it more just like a saw slow burn into crap beer to where you're like I love this shit so much it just en- ended up being something that took a hold of you to where you had to just start making it and go from there it probably goes I mean back like even even deeper than that like I think there's like different stages uh, in life or different beers that you had that kind of push you even further um I mean, like, the first time I think, like, I had, like, a Guinness, like, mm-hmm. in college was a big deal, right? Yeah. Uh, and then even during that time, uh, it may sound funny now or, or cliche, but, I mean, when Blue Moon came on the scene, at least for me, that was, like, a different type of, of taste. And then there was another beer. Someone said, like, you have to try Who Garden. So I was like, all right, we were just we just turned 21. You could finally buy your own beer. You know, so you're mm-hmm. at school. We bought that. That was pretty cool. That kind of led into like Boddington's, right? Boddington's is a good, which then you later learn that like Boddington's yeast is appearing in some of these hazy IPAs or is like kind of like, yeah. that, you know, that, that like, old ale, old English ale yeast that they're using yeah. to like kind of make everything, prop everything up and make it hazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you got your first, like, kind of like, this sounds lame and, and I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't quote it, but I mean, like, you know, Credit, I guess maybe just, just across the border up north, like they showed you things that you hadn't drank before. Really, though, then like craft, like it was Gumball Head, right? For me and Jared, that was the first, I think that, you know, that was like the first, like really, like, well, hoppy weed ale. And maybe even before that, the first time you tried like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, that was like the most bitter thing that anyone that I had had up to that point. But I mean, throughout the, throughout, I guess, like the life cycle of drinking beer, there's, there's different things here and there, and then there, there probably still will be, and it's all kind of full circle. I know Jared's probably got some some own beers that kind of like were relevatory. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you when you when you dive into it from that angle, like you really kind of you grab hold of a brewery and you just you want to try everything, you know. Like you get you we got to know two brothers 
we got to know everything Three Floyds was doing. We'd go down to the brew pub. Um, you know, we'd, I'd go back to Wisconsin. I'd bring back a bunch of new Glarus. So it's, it, for me, it was more about really moving through a portfolio and, and really like getting to know a brewery rather than locking on to any one single beer. But certainly in doing so, I feel like you, you find what you like, you know, and, and you see, uh, and, and how that changes throughout the, the calendar year, you know, like summer, give me, give me those easy drinking pale ales all <laughs> summer, you know, and then fall hits and I'm like, give me that dunkle. And, and I, I wouldn't say we've modeled Hot Butcher after that by any means. We really, truly picked the hoppy lane and stayed in it. Um, but, you know, we always talk of when we have our own tap room, you know, maybe that'll give us that, that, that opportunity to go and make, you know, a, a hoppy pills here or there or make that dunkle or make a heffa and, and really just uh, make little little off-roads for for styles we enjoyed drinking before we started doing this thing commercially well so. i mean even from a from a homebrew brew side of things you know what i mean it's not like you nobody well i'm not gonna say nobody a lot of people probably jump in a homebrew boat and try to make hazy double ipas now but like when you guys got into it it was probably a, a lot more classic styles trying to make it two style trying to make a beer the way that bjcp nerd book fucking told right. you how to play it uh, play it um, like you decide to open a brewery, what do you do? You you know what I mean. You invest your own money. What do you do? Do you just you go tank by tank? You just start just working your way up and get to a point where you need extra dough just to kind of jump ahead. Like what was the what was the what happened between when you said let's do this to where you're kind of like okay we're doing this. What was that period like? So. If you're familiar with Pipeworks, uh, mm -hmm. I think they were one of the first breweries to actually go out onto crowdsourcing and make a video and ask people for their own hard-earned money in, in return for, you know, various benefits of, you know, tchotchkes, but also like brewing experiences and stuff. And I think we were really inspired by that, as a lot of breweries were. Um, we gave, uh, we went with Indiegogo, uh, not Kickstarter, but uh, we, we... I guess it all kind of happened at, at, a, at a weirdly similar time where that happened. Um, we were looking into the, the price and costs of what it would take to open up our own brewery. And somehow we found out about uh, alternating proprietorships, which to us seemed like the best way to not only gain commercial brewing experience, but also to do so without having to come up with, you know, several hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, of course. Um, so we uh, we kind of did some digging on on costs for a single tank. We had we're making some friends and and asking uh, around the the Chicago area of you know do you have a space you know would you be open to this and eventually we landed on a spot. Um, I actually connected with the guy. Uh, over some artwork he had done. So for me, it was more like, hey, I'd love to meet this guy, and maybe at some point he could do a label for us. Um, but long story short, he ended up, um, and his brewery group ended up buying a an existing brewery from someone who got in the game and then very quickly decided they had to get out or they were forced out or something. I actually don't even remember that story. But um, And he had room. Like I had seen this big, beautiful, brand-new brewery, and um, I knew he had the space. It was just a matter of, you know, trying to figure out whether or not he'd be open to, to us being in there. And, um, yeah, so, so we reached out, had a, had lunch with him, kind of asked him, he had, he had expressed some openness to the idea. And then, 
you know, we kind of hit a home. Then all we had to do was raise the money, buy the tank, wait for it to show up and get it all connected to his system and start going. And we were able to lean on him to to help us along the way, like get familiar with with his uh, system as well. So, so you guys weren't even really like a true contract brewing, like you're going and using somebody else's facilities. You actually bought your own tank, put it in his yep. area and just was banging out beers. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a, a connotation we always try to make, you know, someone says, hey, you're contracting. It's like, well, no, we're not just we're not paying someone to brew our beer like we actually it was it was important to us to it was a way dirtier word back then than it is now, too. So. Right. Right. Yeah. But it was important to us to, like, learn how to do this ourselves and to be able to say that we were doing it ourselves. Like we, we wanted to do that. You know, we didn't want to take not that it's an easy way out, but like we really wanted to get our hands dirty and figure this machine out. <laughs> that or we just didn't care anymore of fighting that fight for so many times you're like we're no we're alternating propriety like there's a difference we're brewing the beer ourselves versus like you just hand something off then after you mentioned that enough times and people still say the same thing it's just like all right you know what it's all good we're, and, a, con- we're a contract brewer and we're that's not gonna, a, and that's we're not gonna at, explain it anymore at this point now like those like you saying that like being like, no, we're, we're not doing that. Oh no, we're not this. Do you even care about that anymore? No, you don't give no. a shit. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, so it's like, like I understand it cause you want it so much. Do you know what I mean? Like you want, you want to do what you want to do in the way you want to do it. But back then it was kind of like a little bit of like eh, a little sleazy, dirty word contract brewing, but it, yeah. like it was before people was understood what it was. Right. And I think we took pride in the fact that we are learning this ourselves and we are turning these valves ourselves and like we are using our own hands and arms and muscles and like that was all us you know and that we had to like take the time to learn it and go through the growing pains Mm -hmm. and that i think it kind of like connotated like you didn't care if you gave it to somebody else like you and you weren't as authentic you know yeah um but like you know like you were were saying or alluding to you see with like you know, with, with gypsy brewers, with contract brewers, as that's become a lot more acceptable during this time, I think there's less of a stigma. And there's been, not that contract brewing gypsy brewing, but you've seen just people like uh, Mick Keller and like Evil Twin and Stillwater, who's just kind of like ridden, like being a gypsy brewer into their own breweries. Uh, like you said, I think like people just, you know, it's it's become either either more accepted or just people don't care anymore because they've seen how quality the beer is. Um, more that basically maybe it just wasn't seen as like a viable like alternative or means like you had to have a brewery at first now you're seeing these people are some of people's favorite breweries and you see their start and they're very similar where they're just you know scraping it out either contracting or do it at someone else's facility no. and probably getting older not worrying as about as much about <laughs> yeah well you know age time and having kids do that to you um see so you both homebrew you go to open a brewery, you start to brew who takes the lead because uh, like, I mean, both of you ended up working for wanted to be in sports. Yeah. You ended up working for a sports organization. I assume there's some kind of competitive drive between both of you. I don't understand why there, how there couldn't be, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It being, that's what you wanted to do when you grow up. Like d- does somebody take the lead? Is it a mutual endeavor from the get? Like, like, is there, are you guys throwing punches in, in a verbal or literal and figurative way? You know what I mean? Like, how does that end up? How does that end up hashing itself out when you actually go to make the beer? When you start to do it on the real? 
I think that it was a it was a cool experience really learning it together right so like I don't we're totally both competitive but I I would say we're competitive against other breweries uh in a friendly way you know we're not like trying to cutthroat everything but like we 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 feel very much same team so you know when jude learns something i think his first inclination is like let's talk you know i want to teach this to you or if i pick something up i'll share it with him or i'll text him or screenshot it over to him and say hey check this out it was all about making better beer you know and and making things not only that we wanted to drink but things that got people excited uh beer that maybe set us apart from the rest of the pack because even early on in this process it felt very crowded you know like a very crowded space there were a lot of upstarts everyone was trying to make a name for themselves so we wanted to do that but we wanted to stay true to ourselves um and 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 do uh you know brew beers that expressed who we are and what we like to drink and really um connect what people were passionate about with 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 our beers you know so, so in that we were able to kind of make a we were we were able to, to collaborate with certain brewers that we we enjoyed as friends and we were able to make beers that reflected uh our love for sports like with good rise wear black which was targeted for for the white Sox, and we made this beer uh, called hot monster uh of the midway which was you know targeted at the bears but we weren't in we weren't in soldier field so so we we let that that those parts of us shine where we where we see fit um but no i I don't i don't think we're we're not like at each other's throats or anything like trying to to one-up each other because i I think we realize what's what's good for us uh together in you know working as a team is is what uh what makes hot butcher run and i think we were fortunate enough um to come across people and like in in from a professional brewing standpoint who showed us the rope just physically learning the guts of a system and what valves to open and what to close and just some technical um aspects of of the brewing process i think it was all on really us from like a recipe standpoint standpoint or learning from our mistakes how to tweak that i think that was pretty much on our shoulders when things maybe didn't taste the target you know the target that we were going for and that we had to learn that ourselves and kind of like tailor and 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 customize things to that so that was all on us but we've been lucky to come across some people who've had their own systems that uh that basically kind of like showed us the ropes how to brew and said we'll show you a couple times here or there but eventually you guys are gonna have to man the reins and and kind of like take the ship where you see it so so it's been pretty cool in, in both of those respects to have to kind of, you know, one and one end kind of rely solely on us and deal with those screw ups, but at the same time have people showing us how to uh, basically open up valves here and there and and mesh in and kind of kick over and clean the right way and all that good stuff. How like in doing that, like you're basically saying you went from a home brewer to a professional brewer just by taking a bunch of knocks and having people kind of guide you along the way. And, 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 and not just, you know what I mean? Kid gloves you to show you what's right, but be like, Oh, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. Have at it. Do you think that like ultimately, like when you're starting off, like that has to be a beneficial thing, not like just training you a plus, uh, you know, one plus one equals two. Sometimes, you know, you want to be able to think out of the box and be able to kind of 
create what you want to create. And that's kind of a theme, I think, with a lot of what you guys do is that it's not so textbooky. And maybe is you attribute that a lot from just kind of learning along the way as opposed to going to like somewhere like Siebel or going to some kind of place like that? Um, you know, that's good. And it's a good that's a good question. I think that that from a recipe standpoint, I think that probably us drinking a lot. I mean, this, that, that, that may sound <laughs> like, you know, like you, you drink a lot and you have like a target. You're from your Wisconsin. You're allowed to enough. say that. Yeah. Or is that Jeremiah? Sorry. That, this is Jude. <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, like I think like you have a target in your mind of like what you want it to taste like. Right. So then like and I think it, through enough reading and then I guess asking questions as well. You're like, all right. So this is what we meant. And this is where what it tastes like. And it's like, what's what's worse? You know, like what's the disconnect? Right. And then I think you kind of go back to the the drawing board and you figure out kind of like where you misstep. And I think the important thing or I think like where we've been served well is that we we took notes um, as to like what we liked or didn't like, or kind of dove in a little bit deeper and said like these are the two or main two or three main things that we think that like we didn't hit on, and I think it was just applying it to the next beer, and then uh, you know if we tasted what we what our target was and was like all right that was it and I think I mean really I think it was through trial and error, um, I think it was probably a lot harder to um, like dial in recipes and make sure that like we had like. Our, like our grist right and like the right percentages there that we had the right like kind of balance between like bitterness and sweetness and alcohol and dryness and where to add hops throughout the process then it really was like boil for this long or mash for this long at this temperature and stuff like that i think that might have been like the the easier part like actually manning a brew house than it was like having a like dialing a recipe and creating a recipe that that tasted good or that like matched up what you were you know you had in your head or what you were tasting in other breweries and kind of being like, I'm tasting brewery X and I like it. And this is what I think they're doing. So I'm going to do this. And like, it either came out one, it either came out right or it didn't. But I think through like trials and tribulations, you're eventually able to dial it in. Um, but that's good. I mean, all, I think all those mistakes like make you better. And then through those mistakes, you realize, you know, you learn like the why, as opposed to just kind of like hitting it the first time. Um, and then just not really, you know, if you hit it the first time, uh, and you don't make the mistake, you kind of don't explore the guts of what makes it what it is. And I yeah. think that we've been fortunate enough to kind of like be able to dive into those things over the last like year, year and a half. Um, that's made our beers better. Makes sense to me, brother. You know what I mean? Like steel sharpened steel. Do you know what I mean? So if you get to the point where like you bang off, we have, you know, everybody's seen it in their local area. I think where you know, people kind of like um, dive into the beer game and do some uh, nice stuff in a, a, a particular level and do it so quick and so easy. And then when you get to the point where you have to change, you have to adjust, you have to hit a brick wall and, and adjust and they just can't do it. You know what I mean? That's part and parcel of, being anything in life doesn't matter if you're a brewer or whatever you know what i mean you just have to be able to you know whatever you want to call it roll with the punches or whatever it is um yeah i think i would also say too where you kind of asked about where this the style or the approach comes from that there are it's it's candidly i i'd say i'd call it an overflow of ideas you know for so long we had one fermenter that we were brewing in and out of every month and that meant that we could get one idea one beer name one hop combination 
into that beer and get it out and let people respond to it. And, and because of those confines of only being able to do one beer a month, um, certainly some demand grew out of that, but the, the list grew, you know, as we continued to learn things, the list of things we wanted to try and ingredients we wanted to use just kept mounting and mounting until we finally realized that, you know, Hey, these bars, restaurants, retailers, they're all asking like, what's next? Like they got, they got used to the constant churn of new stuff from us. And now we have capacity to do that. Why wouldn't we kick out, you know, four new beers a month, if we have the artwork and we have the time and, and the wherewithal to do that. So the, the market kind of responded in, in a, in a positive way to uh, what we're, what we set out to do, you know, at a smaller scale. So we've just organically scaled that up um, so that we're not, you know, we're not, we're not making something and then having to shove it into the market. We're, we're making something that speaks to kind of everything we have been and wanted to be and tried along the way. And, um, so far, you know, people are really drinking that up, which is, is exciting for us because, you know, we still got a list. We still got a list of <laughs> names and hop combos and ingredients and things that we haven't tried yet. Malts, you name it. Yeast pitches, blends of certain yeasts that um, that that just kind of feeds that fire of, of new stuff that we haven't put out there. And, you know, how boring would it be if we just said, you know what, we're done. We're just going to keep brewing everything we've brewed up to this point. We don't want to learn. We don't want to try new hops and see if they make our beer better. So it's it's a little bit of like pent up um, curiosity um, mixed in with maybe a little bit of mad scientistness, <laughs> and uh, it's been it's been exciting to see the response be what it is because that's what gets us excited. You know, we we find a new hop that we've never used or even heard before, and maybe we could be the first brewer in the country to use it or the first brewer in the Chicago market to blend it with something. Um, that's exciting to us. And, and that that's certainly, you know, done something to, to who we are as a brewery and, and the style we've kind of developed for ourselves. Well, where, where, like, where do you find, where do you find the balance between like, like if you make a beer, that's fantastic. There's no, there's nothing wrong with duplicating something because I mean, we all have our favorite meals, favorite songs, favorite, you know what I mean? Sports moments, teams, the whole nine, to where we can actually like we there's a point where your brain appreciates um uh familiarity and and yep. to the point where but at the same time you guys want to do something different now you actually touched on it which is uh the rarity portion of the show which is the uh you know what i mean sometimes it's manufactured rarity to where some brewers actually produce you know it's not just in brewing it's uh, you know video games and a whole nine where you produce less than what is warranted uh, to the point where it actually drives the demand, regardless of whether the product's good or not. And obviously, I'm not talking about your beers. I'm just talking about the market in general. Like, how do you find a balance between producing enough to keep people interested while at the same time being interested? Like, is it a matter of now at this point, you you guys just can do whatever you want? Or is there a groundswell for people and like oh we love this beer bring this back or is are there beers that you guys have kind of staples um at the same time are there is there a core core of your beer that is a staple like a lot of your beers i i notice have the same abv is there a base you work with and tweak off of that like how do you fulfill both ends of the spectrum of one being able to you know what I mean? Keep that market alive to where you want to manufacture. Again, it can be a dirty word sometime, but manufacture that kind of hype. But at the same time, also produce a good product that you want and not feel like you want to go back to something else. 
I think like naturally, I mean, we always tend to just lean to new. Um, and by the time we brew something new anyway, our schedule, like we're, we're already looking ahead to what we have to brew next, you know? So before we even know, even if we think a beer is going to be good or it's like the concept of it's good, we're already planning on what the next one is. Um, so it's kind of all in, and again, so we always lean new. Um, but, but then when, you know, we, we make a beer and we taste it and if it really like kind of resonates with us and we'll just kind of, uh, like bookmark that and be like, all right, it's like, that was good. Like that's, let's chalk that one up to a beer that we're going to bring back. Right. Like that was exciting to brew. That was exciting to taste. Um, you know, when we're like whatever in a month or two or three, it, it, it's probably calling for like a rebrew. Um, for a while for us, it was really no choice. Um, it was just, if we had one tank or we had two tanks to brew out of, um, that kind of dictated it, you know? So, I mean, that kind of dictated like a, a low supply. Um, but again, like you, when you have such a backlog of ideas, um, and just, uh, hop combinations that you want to use and new grains from, um, you know, from, from Fort Collins, Colorado, that's, producing like that's a craft maltster and they've got a cool white wheat and you want to start incorporating that into a beer or there's a new yeast or there's a new part of your process i mean you're always kind of just like you want to to dig into that and then implement some of the new um because i think like the biggest current that runs through our brewery is just like this desire to like participate in the creative process whether it's ingredients or whether it's it whether it is process the process of brewing or whether it's brewing names um, whatever, whether it's artwork and, and the names of the beers. I mean, I think the, the thing that, that we might get the biggest kick out of is just participating in the creation of something new and putting it out there and seeing how it's consumed and getting feedback and kind of like the exhilaration or just kind of the trip of, of hearing that people like dig, you know, what you do. Um, and then as we've, as we've kind of like added a little bit more capacity and we've had more flexibility to brew what we want, um, that allows for like, for more to get out there. Uh, I don't think we'd ever like purposely limit, uh, any type of like supply and demand. Um, that's always just been a product of the fact that we made so little and unfortunately people dug it. Right. So then like we're hauling, selling beer out of the back of our cars and we've only got so many accounts and we're trying to get it out to like everybody that there's just a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. Uh, and when people say, you know, they dig a brew, um, it's like, all right, when you hear that enough, it's like, we're excited about it. They're excited about it. So when's the right time to bring it back? But at the same time too, it's like, yo, let's apply everything we learned about this last one. There's these new hops that came up. It's about time to brew with those guys. Um, let's see what else we can create. Uh, so I mean, that kind of sums it up. And it's funny through that, once you throw those things in, you, you throw these new hops and these new grains that tells you something entirely like new about the next brew you haven't, you know, you haven't brewed yet. So it's just, we kind explore of, a lot of paths Yeah. To, to Jude's point. I mean, some of it's lifestyle too, right? Like so a certain beer just begs to be consumed with certain weather or a certain occasion like opening day or a certain beer fest that we love, you know, maybe it's in the fall, maybe it's in the spring, maybe it's kicking off craft beer week. Um, so some of that drives where we plug the returning beers or where we try to plug a hop combination that feels summery, you know, or feels like something that belongs in a big old stout. Um, 
you know, I guess elephant in the room, like Galaxy Bowl was a beer that, that allowed us to use Galaxy hops for the first time. And everybody loves Galaxy, as, as do we. Um, we'd make Galaxy Bowl more if we could. Um, it's not a matter of, man, like, artificially, you know, holding back production to keep demand for that beer high as much as it's just, you know, the way it is. Galaxy hops are expensive. We have a finite number of them contracted. And, and since that, that that specific beer uses 100% Galaxy hops, every time we make it, we use almost all of what we have contracted. And then, and then we're subject to the spot market. So if, you know, we get that question a lot, like, why don't you just make Galaxy Bowl all the time? And it's like, well... We'd love to, but we we just we can't get enough Galaxy Hops for something like that. And we use Galaxy Hops in other beers that we make, Dun Dun Dun, which you know which you've had like that. That's mixed in with uh, Citra and Amarillo. Um, the Galaxy is so uh, we don't we don't want to just make you know two batches back to back and then be done for the year with Galaxy. So we have to be smart about how we space stuff like that out. But that that also has to play to your strengths. You know what I mean? And hop. Like when you can't get a hop, you guys are so, and that's one of the things I've talked about. And I think it's one of your guys MOs as you've talked about is, is, is messing with hops and creating hops and doing different angles on hops. It's probably the best word I can think of different angles on making them work. So when you can't get something like how calculated is it? Do you go into buying hops going, I want to do this, this, and this, or is it more of a kind of like an artist thing to where you're kind of shooting from the hip, not necessarily from the hip, but understanding what you're dealing with and just trying to bring out different things in beers, because that's been my kind of, uh, you know, the things I've enjoyed most about your beers is the different expression of the way hops come off. Is that calculated? Is it is it a bit is it a bit of cal- uh, calculated while at the same time being a bit of who done it? Who knows? Yeah, it's calculated. I mean, I think from the very beginning we planted a flag that said we are we are going to use hops all over the place um, by naming ourselves Hop Butcher for the World. I mean, I think that was just licensed to say like, hey, like we when 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 you think of hops, like. Um, we, we want you to think of, I mean, we, you can think of a lot of people, but I hope you think of us or we hope you think of us and we're going to use hops and all, on all types of combinations. I think, I mean, maybe it comes from some type of like, it's definitely like we conceptualize a lot of things. Jared and I will throw like, Hey, this is the idea I have for this beer. It's going to be pineapple with a little strawberry and it's going to be mixed with like a little pine, a little cedar or something like that we're always on the hunt for like what's new and what's exciting, what's intriguing. So, you know, we're, we're always digging for the experimentals, the hops with no names, the hops that, you know, look promising, but for whatever reason aren't widely used. And we'll pair those up with other like really cool combos that we think maybe haven't even been done before, or, or that could produce a really cool expression of whatever it is, or Jer on his own or Maya on my own will, have a beer from another brewery that'll use a hop combo and say whatever that tasted like was awesome. And before we get too far, um, let's speak to that. Yeah, you're talking about um, all these different hop combinations and, and and working with the hops and doing what you're doing with the hops. Um, but that kind of leads to the whole name thing. You're South Loop, you changed to Hop Butcher. I understand why you did it. You know what I mean? You like you needed to be able to have your own kind of like name you wanted to be you don't even have your own like without people searching for the internet for south loop that's basically why you change correct 
Yeah, I mean, the, the short version is really that we, we tried to grow the business up and we wanted to protect the name. And we found out very quickly that we couldn't do that because uh, there was a, a bar that had trademarked a, kind of a relabeled brew. Um, and the USPTO doesn't care whether it's a brewery or a beer or a bar. The fact that they had filed, um, and they didn't come after us, but you know, this was really our desire to just be smart business people. Yeah. Um, you know, the, being told that we would never be able to protect that name led us to believe that you know now is the right time to change. If we were going to make a um, a go of this whole thing, um, you know, it was important that this was something we'd be able to do. So we, we made the change, we bit the bullet, and this, you know, Hot Butcher for the World was pegged to be a beer name, um, but, you know, at that point, I kind of kept looking at that that entry in my notebook, and I was like, you know what, Jude, that's kind of a cool name for a brewery. What do you think about calling ourselves that? So we uh, we did it, and, and we thought, you know, maybe we would be uh, giving up a couple years of building equity in people's brains, and... Um, you know, people reacted very positively to that. It was actually a lot easier than we thought it would be. So now at, at that time, <laughs> at, at that time, like right now you are brewing out of, what is it? Miskatronic? Is that what it's called? Miskatronic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, at, it when, should be the next, that should be the next collab beer with them. It should be called Miskatronic for sure. <laughs> uh, were you when you made the name switch? Were you were you there from the get, or did you like start somewhere else and move to there? Actually, yeah, we were at a we were at another brewery on the north side of Chicago. Okay. Their name was uh, their name was Aquanaut Brewing Company. Okay, um, so uh, so for a while uh, we were south loop there for probably about a year, um, and then probably in around March of. 20 what was it 2016 um we officially uh flipped it over to hot butcher so yeah so we were there for another brewery before we we moved to to where we are right now and then when did you guys uh, actually like um end up getting to the point where you started canning and uh doing like your whole thing like distribution di- distributing out can wise was it like before that or after that yeah, October, what was it Jer? October two thousand fifteen. Was the first cans? Uh, he's not. He's not here right now. Oh, gotcha. Um, it was yeah, October two thousand fifteen. We were packaging into sixteen point nine ounce bottles or seven or five hundred milliliter bottles, and then we brewed this uh, all Armarillo beer. I think it was an Armarillo and Chinook. I think it was just Armarillo called Satan's Mile, and. Uh, for a while, we were just kind of like hand filling bottles or filling kind of like on a, on a makeshift, uh, like, you know, I guess like two head uh, bottle filler. Yeah. And then we bought it. And, and doing everything yourself, kind of. Yep. Yep. And filling kegs too. And, and really at that point, distribution was kind of like uneven because, you know, frankly, like filling bottles that way wasn't like the most efficient. And I think we, you got you got in too much oxygen and it was very time consuming just to, to get, you know, a pallet filled. Um and then we had uh, kind of toyed around with the idea of uh, mobile canning. And uh, and then the first one, we did it with like just an American pale ale. It was super happy with Armarillo. And that like once we saw how how well that day worked and, you know, what it did for the beer, um, you know, how it kept light out, it kept, you know, oxygen away too. And how you could just transport in 16-ounce cans, that was probably – that was the first one. And that was the first time we loaded 
you know, 30 cases in an SUV and drove it out and started selling beer out of the back of our cars. The best way to do it. Um, so you go from, um, like, like doing your first camera release, you're working at that brewery, then you end up uprooting a bit. You end up going to a different brewery right before you actually change the name of your brewery. At that time, like, was um, basically what I'm alluding to is your labels. Like, it's one of the things that a lot of people talk about. Like, and uh, was it, how do you say his name? Is it Dan Gresnick? Jetsa. It looks like Jetsa. Yeah, I know, right. Um, When did you guys take him on as far as, like, labeling? I know you talked about, like, looking for a brewery and somebody that you hoped would do a label for you. Either you or Jeremiah was talking about it. I'm not sure who it was. Was that the original person that actually ended up hooking you up at the beginning, or is it somebody different? No, so probably so so Saints Mile um, had had one artist, um, and uh, and at that point too, kind of like the plan was was looking at at like uh, a different artist for every label, um, and a shout out as well the the um, the artwork for the World's Columbian Coffee Exposition, which is our coffee style, wasn't done by Dan. Um, but what had happened is, you know, we had brewed a a. a uh, pistachio milk stout called milk stachio that was a collaboration that was like you know pretty much like one of our first brewers and that was done with uh uh dry hop brewers uh out of the north side of chicago off of belmont and uh and broadway um and uh we had seen the artwork of dan jetza because he did um like a double ipa with lactose for three fluids called apocalypse cow and really we really dug that style so um we, you know, we had this beer milk stachio that we uh, was really like beloved um, by, you know, by us. Um, and we just kind of had an idea for this guy with kind of like a pork pie hat and a little monocle and just kind of like the overall theme and vibe. And, you know, we threw the idea at him and he cranked out something real cool. And from that, we kind of saw, all right, like, all right, we saw um, a couple of roads that we could take it. And really from that point on, we had to look back and we've been rolling with Dan. Um, and he's been doing all of our work. I mean, he, like, he has killed it from, like, I mean, to the point where you guys are starting to get, like, actual recognition. Like, not, I mean, beers aside, uh, from the art on uh, on your labels, um, it, which is a weird thing. Because if you actually think about it, the way beer kind of rolls nowadays, like, almost all the kind of up-hyped up beer the producers nowadays do silver sticker cans sure. with like geometric pattern, like same shit over and over again. You guys are doing, you know what I mean? Plastic wrapped kind of not old school, but OG kind of like just full art cans. Like that's one of the things I actually really wanted to talk to you guys about. Like, like how did you guys come to that? Is it, is like, did, was it purposeful? Was it, was it, I'm sure you say, I'm sure you will say it is purposeful, but at the same time, is it like stumbled into something better? Because I mean, when you talk about these, these asymmetrical over and over sticker cans, and then you look at your cans to me, I'm like blown away because it's something that actually is, uh, you know, I come from an art background. Uh, you know, I worked at a tattoo shop for 18 years, so this shit appeals to me. But it, it's something that speaks more than just a geometric pattern on a silver can. Where do you guys sit on that, and where was your thought process going forward? With right you? on. Thank you for that, by the way. That's awesome. Um, you know, I think that, I mean, our, our plan from the beginning, I mean, we're very visual. 
Um, and I think our plan from the beginning is like, let's make, let's make some kick-ass beer, put it in some kick-ass cans, uh, and make sure that, you know, overall that, that our ethos is pretty kick-ass and that we're kick-ass people. Um, so again, like the visuals behind the whole thing were important and you realize like you, you know, you kind of set the expectation, the beer, you know, the beer has got to be top notch, right. But you can, you can kind of set the expectation, um, of what people are going to have by kind of like what they, what they see. And see, and you know, the kind of the way that it started is like, it's, it's pretty cool the way that we work with Dan, um, you know, very like, kind of like early on. Uh, it was like, we've got a beer name and these are the colors and this is what we're seeing. And, you know, this is what, you know, if you could, this is what we'd like you to draw if you could. And then that's kind of like the way it developed. Um, and then it was, you know, sometimes it was, uh, we've got a name and we've got some colors, but really, you know, we don't necessarily like have a visual. So is it possible to run with it? And then one time, really, which was like the, the first time, which was Galaxy Bowl, it was like, we have a name, we have an overall concept. And he's like, you know what, guys, stop there. Um, he's like, let me run with this one. I've got a perfect idea. And then, you know, he kind of like just went, you know, went on his own, just cranked something out, came back and was like, what do you think of this? And we we're like, absolutely, like, that's it. So that's kind of been a cool dynamic of, of kind of how it's evolved. A lot of, I mean, no matter what, we'll always have the beer names uh, in a general direction, but you know, sometimes whether it's colors or whether it's the imagery, um, it can go in a lot of different places. And that's been a fun dynamic to kind of like push the visual, uh, boundaries, I guess, of like, of like what we can do. Cause again, we're super, we're super like into, you know, how something would look and, and how much we can kind of, how, how much we can push that even further. So it should be pretty exciting moving forward. No, I mean, like, I mean, like you alluded to, you know what I mean? Like if the beer sucks, it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? You could you could wrap anything in the fanciest bow you could possibly imagine, and if it's not good, it's not going to be good. Um, but you know, like presentation matters uh, when it comes to a lot of different things: music, theater, movies, food. It doesn't matter if you can say. I can have something that's absolutely fantastic, but also have it fantastically wrapped in a fantastic package. That's an amazing thing. And like I said, yeah. like to, to see the kind of art that you guys throw in at, you know what I mean? Like I'm staring at, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, you're, you're, um, the jewels right now where you're doing a dude de muerto a mask on a, right. on a thing from the point where you're doing, you know, the milk stachio to the cranium to all that stuff. The art design, and like I said, like I worked in the art industry for 18 years before I started to do something else and to see not just the art design behind it, which actually is like one of my favorite things about the outside of cans or bottles or all the stuff that I end up seeing is to see the the sketchiness behind it. And that's the thing that really does it for me because it, it, it brings a, a bit of kind of, I don't know what the word is. I don't know. It's 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 more organic. You know what I mean? To where someone's just yeah. actually drawing the label off, and it's it's not so much. It's not so refined. It's refined and it's in its press worthy. 
and it makes sense, but it's also, you can tell it just comes from somebody just kind of banging. And that's what I'm going to say, banging out a label. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he draws a sketch and then just draws on top of it and top of it and top of it multiple times to where he gets to where he wants to be. And that in itself warms my heart, man. It's pretty fucking awesome stuff to be perfectly honest with you. I think when it's like, if you recognize that you're open to the idea that like, you know, you can appeal, uh, on like on different levels or you can appeal to like many senses right that like you know you you recognize that like the beer whether it's the beer itself or the beer in the can i mean there's a visual element to it there's also uh you know there's like a you know the senses through your nose um through your eyes and through your mouth and that if you can kind of like you recognize that there's something maybe a little bit more comprehensive in it kind of like there are deeper layers that that kind of like dig um, that dig a little deeper and that kind of, that sums up kind of like the, the overall experience, um, you know, without getting like maybe a little too trippy, but I mean, I think that we, we both have been fortunate that like, I think that there's something about, I think when we like set out like, uh, to create hot butcher for the world, um, and kind of like dig in with the city that there's kind of this like do it yourself gritty, type of self-distribution element where you know you just kind of like you're the only two guys for a while that are trying to like crank this out um in your spare time during lunch after work before work whatever it is and i think that 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 kind of like there's parallels in dan's artwork with his scratch work style that there is a rawness and a grittiness to it and i think that's like you you then relate that back to our name i think the reason that we you know, we liked Hot Butcher for the World as much as it is because it was kind of this like this visual, this uh, visceral kind of like wordplay or imagery, um, just breaking everything up by itself. That kind of like it, th there's really good parallels between how Dan's art looks with that Scratchburg style where he's just, you know, etching into and scratching into ink and digging up the black underneath. Um, with, you know, what I think we think of, like, what the brewery represents or the city that we come from, which is just kind of like, you know, no one is looking to give you a break. You have to, like, earn everything you're going after. You have to grind it out and, and nothing that, like, you know, is good out there is achieved without, you know, a little bit of a sweat. And uh, honestly, that was a like it was kind of my next question. I actually have, like, a list of stuff over here. Not necessarily that, like like ask random questions but stuff i, oh, I definitely want to touch on but like yellow leaf pad of everything <laughs> just one by one shoot them yeah uh, like ha like how do you feel that your your guys style lends to the chicago beer scene because i mean you're not doing the Again, we talked about the geometric sticker can. You're also not doing the uh, meet me at my brewery at 8 a.m. and wait in line and get a ticket and wait for our shit. You're distributing your beer out there to the people. You're being like, we're dropping our beer here. We're dropping our beer there. Go and get it. Have fun with it. Enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, how right. do you like one? Like, why did you guys decide to do that kind of distribution point? And two. Like, how do you feel about doing that compared to what everybody else is doing? Like, it almost seems like a Chicago thing. It seems like a kind of like you're talking about that nitty gritty from the earth scratch. You know what I mean? Like, let's just right. like put it out there. Have at it. If you want it, go get it. You know what I mean? Like, there's no pretension. There's no pomp and circumstance. Here's some fucking beer. Go drink it. 
have fun kind of thing like ha- again i'm asking the question i already know the answer to but yeah no no like- no it, that that's a it's it's awesome we're very much i think first and foremost like influenced by the midwest um with with first off flavors and the beer that we make and everything that we drank coming up um um and still do um and big players uh half acre and three floyds um you know just kind of like informing our taste buds and our ideas of of what beer is first and foremost. And I think that still definitely sticks with us. Um, I think that we came up, um, we're still very young. We may not even like, have produced our own like commercial batches yet, but there was a time when self-distribution really started gaining traction here with Pipeworks and with Spiteful, um, and very much Spiteful too, where you would, you know, tw- Twitter was just kind of coming online within a year or two, at least I feel, in beer around here where Spiteful was delivering, you know, two-hour-old beer or one-day-old beer. So that was definitely, like, the model to follow. Like, that was the thing. You packaged it up and you you got it out your your back door. Um, the, the reason that people don't go with distributors that are so small is what you have to make, let's say, like, twice as much beer to – make as much money or maintain the same type of margins for so for somebody that small that doesn't have a lot to go around that's just investing it right back into the brewery to give that up to a distributor to do your stuff you know was probably just on we you know, it was, wasn't even a choice um but then the alternative is that you get to deliver our old two hour old beer out of the back of your car and deliver it yourself and meet who you're selling to and also meet the customers and, you know, and, and further the personal, you know, relationships where no one's selling your stuff, but now you get a, an opportunity to. So it's like, I don't even know if that was by choice or that was more so what we were just, we saw at the time as kind of like what you did or, or what you do. Right. Um, to take it, further and just continue with the hops was kind of like another thing because I think everyone was making every type of style. Um, and we just were like, yo, we're hop heads and, and, and we've got so many different things that we want to do. That's what we're going to do. But I think we'd be remiss not to recognize everything that was happening around the time or the fact that like, you know, we are a Midwest brewery and we take a lot of our nods from that. Um, I think it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's got to be cool to open up your back doors and sell 200 cases like you guys are doing out on the east, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, what's and that's and that's what I was asking like what's like what's the culture like there in Chicago? Is the is the release of wait in line culture is that not the thing in Chicago? Um, I, I think it I think it is. You have there's like breweries um here like um like they're called more out of Villa Park. Um, and I think that started back, there was a line culture, I believe out of Ram when he was, uh, their head brewers releasing hazy IPAs and, and big Imperial stouts. And I think that that line culture kind of like develops, um, when like, uh, when microphone in, in Elk Grove village rec- like when they opened up at first, um, I think that line culture, uh, developed there. Um, but it's not something you see as as like widespread as you probably do at like an other half or, um, I, and I've never, I've never got to experience. I've just seen it on the internet, other half or like monkish or stuff like that. So for the most part, no, it doesn't really, doesn't really happen here they as get, much. They get crazy out here, dude. Self-distributing breweries or, or people that are just opening up the doors and selling out of that 
you know, and that's and that's to say, are they are they you know are they making that style of beer as well too? That kind of drives that. Hey guys, <laughs> hey. sorry about that. What's going on, man? The internet floweth again. Oh, hey, life happens. That's all that matters. You know. Um, so we we're talking about like uh, how Chicago beer reflects the beer that you guys produce, you know what I mean? The way the, you know, your label shine versus how you distribute beer as opposed to like shove shit out of a brewery, out of a line that people wait in line for like nine hours, um, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a cold doing all that stuff. And, uh, Jude touched on it pretty awesomely, but let's put it this way. Do you think you guys will ever get to the point where you do that point? Guys, I assume you're going to eventually want your own space. And if you eventually do your own space, you're going to do your own distro out of your place. Nothing wrong with that. Do you think you will change, you know, uh, label format going from the kind of sticker wrap to a sticker label? Because it'll be just easier to do that from a kind of mobile canning standpoint. And, like, how do you think you guys will change it going forward? Because, uh, you know, if the beer doesn't change, it's all that matters. So, uh, you know, what do you think you guys will do moving forward? What's the future for Hop Butcher? You know, I don't think we would do that because, you know, for the sake of doing that or because we think that's cool. Or we, you know, you'd want to create a line or, or anything because you're ki- trying to replicate a model. What I think is... Uh, I think the coolest about that is that you get to meet the people that are drinking your beer and you can kind of quickly like draw your line in the sand and say, this is who we are. And you get to, you get to kind of come face to face with those who are identifying with you. And I think that's pretty gnarly. Um, and you know, the biggest, like you more so than, uh, than a line culture around here is, is there's tap rooms pop up. So, I mean, as more and more of those pop up, uh, the the Chicagoans are thirsty and they love their beer and they definitely go out in droves and they drink at their breweries and that's awesome. So to be able to get people to come out and, and kind of like see, smell, breathe who you are and you get to kind of do the same back and there's kind of that 360 degree relationship between you two and this little ecosystem that develops. I mean, that would be the biggest reason I think you would go in that direction is because like you see these cultures popping up around breweries. And I think that again, you, you, there, you start to see people that identify with you. I think that's like the trip and that's, what's pretty gnarly. So if you could open up your doors and people come out and they're your most, you know, just they're your most, uh, passionate, uh, you know, fans that you have and you get to see them face to face and they get to come out and the culture kind of, that develops around there. I think that's the sickest part. And then I think that's another thing, you know, probably one of the reasons that we, we develop or we, we wanted to start a brewery is because I think we are just as kind of like intrigued and obsessed and taken with the culture around beer of making it and drinking it and how people dressed and talked to each other. And, you know, just kind of like how they lived their lives and what that felt like and the, the relationships between each other. I think that was the most intoxicating thing about it all. So to be able to create that on your own and hopefully have something that, you know, lives on for 10 or 20 years that that sprung up for nothing. I think that could be the coolest thing that would come out of opening your doors and having people wait in line for you. 
Yeah, and Matt, I don't, you know, we're not just saying that either because you're you're asking us some awesome questions and you're doing a podcast. I, I think that if you were to randomly stumble upon us at a at a beer festival and you, you know, got in front of our jockey box and ordered a beer, I think you'd find Jude and I interacting with people asking for our beers in, in a way that um, that proves everything Jude just said. You know, like when when I think of the line culture, I think of two things. One, I hope that we generate enough interest, like people like our beer so much that they're willing to wait in line. But before they ever have to wait in line, I hope Jude and I figure out a way to, to never have them wait in line. Like, I hope that experience as we got in, there were a ton of people there. Uh, we got our beer in a timely manner at a reasonable price. It was delicious. We got out of there. We went and had some pizza. You know, like I, our, our goal isn't, you know, to have a, a line four wide and around the block because who the hell likes standing in lines? So, like, I don't I'm not I'm not accusing any brewers of manufacturing those lines. I just I hope that that Jude and I have the time to, you know, have those conversations with those people who are the biggest fans and who do want to come out to the brewery. But I just hope we figure it out without having to make them stand in line for hours upon hours to get beer that we're, you know, working our asses off trying to make readily available to everybody. I, I, or uh, or uh, if even if that happens, provide them with an experience, let's say that does exist, like then it's like, all right, what else are we going to do? Well, let's provide them with an experience that's worthwhile you know, that kind of like rewards people for coming out and having our beers. You know what I mean? No, it makes sense. Honestly, like, like I said earlier, like the fact that you guys actually do the, you know what I mean? The full wrap cans and do the whole kind of like actual distribution point when it comes to the beers that you actually put out there. It's not like you're actually like, you know, you're, you're, you're throwing your beers out of the back of a brewery to kind of just sell 200 cases that are pseudo limited, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's more like, Hey, here's our beer. If you enjoy it, go out and get it. And people enjoy it. They're going out and getting it. And that's the most important part of the whole deal. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, you don't, it doesn't matter what you put inside there. Well, actually reverse that. It matters what you put inside you know, all the pomp and circumstance, the whole, you know, dance outside of the beer. If you don't make good beer, people aren't going to come back. So you can actually get people to buy stuff if if you do a really nice, pretty song and dance. But in the end, you just have to make good beer, interesting beer. And that's actually where, um, you know, for the lack of a better term, I would say you guys are infinitely more interesting than anything else only because – the way you do what you do. And this is me just saying personal experience stuff. I'm not going to, you know, if you, whatever. But the way you do the things you do as far as, like, the art and cans, the hop combinations you do, the angles you take on hop combinations you do, it's just interesting stuff. And that's the stuff Thanks, you man. need more. No, it's true. It's So it's what you need in beer. You need creativeness. You need inventiveness. You need want to. I need people to give a shit to actually take angles and try to do different things. Like you have all these people that are out there is like, you know, New England IPA is a style or a sour IPA is a style or this, that, and the other thing is a style. Well, it's not a style until somebody creates that. Do you know what I mean? So right. in the, people need to be able to create things, um, be able to invent things, be able to take different takes on, on something that's 
you know what I mean? Like a staple that's been around for a billion years. You know, we a beer is beer. We've all been around it. You know what I mean? Like it's been around for a million years, but there's so many different takes that can be done on it. Um, I think you do. You guys do a pretty fucking fantastical job doing all kinds of kooky shit with beer. So. <laughs> Well, thanks, man. I, I, I will say this. I, I think Jude and I share the, the sentiment pretty strongly that uh, with those first couple cans that you cracked open when you did the review, I, I think they were done and done done and craniac. We both kind of looked at each other and we were like, it feels so good to like hear someone peel back the layers on the beers and just like instantly know exactly what we were after. Um, so it's uh, it's been a pleasure like watching you uh, read beers, not only our own, but I mean, even other beers, beers that we've had that you're reviewing on your, on your podcast and, or on your, on your YouTube channel, you know, and, and just hearing you talk about it is, uh, is awesome. Um, because there are, you know, there are some people that maybe do that and you're like, well, yeah, I guess I could see how it is. Beer is subjective. I don't agree with all of the things you're picking up, but you know, for some reason we're just, we're dialed in, man. You're, you're dialed into what we're doing and, and we, we certainly appreciate you, uh, you know, giving any airtime to, to any of our beers, but it's pretty cool. It's been, uh, it's been a cool couple months watching you do that. <laughs> I take pimp PayPal and Venmo. Thank you very much. And there you go. Uh, that's about as uh, concise of an ending I think we're going to get. So uh, <laughs> thank you very much, guys. Uh, Jeremiah and Jude of Hop Butcher for the World. Um, I mean, they just said, but uh, if you guys want to check them out, uh, you can um, just hop on the Internet and uh, head on over to hopbutcher.com, or you can actually go onto their Instagram uh, you know, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the whole nine, um, but Instagram seems to be the way of the world now. So definitely go check those guys out. Um, check their beer out. Um, you know, it's a Chicago based distro based beer. Um, I'm pretty sure they have a list of their beers, uh, or where you can get their beers, I should say on their website. So go check that out. Um, and, uh, and, and give it a whirl because like I said, I mean, uh, interesting way they kind of, uh, work with hops and, and do what they do. So, um, so yeah, um, thank you very much guys for joining us. Uh, hopefully, uh, you enjoyed the, uh, the long yammering questions and, and the random uh-huhs and uh-uhs and know what I mean. <laughs> that I tend to drop every now and then. And, uh, hopefully you guys out there check them out and, uh, hopefully see you next time. Rock on, man. Right on. Well, thanks again for taking time yeah. for your night. Cheers.